2: Coming up this hour, we're going to hear a word of hope from Rick Warren as we think about Easter. And then it's the social media water cooler. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. It is Thursday. Easter is upon us. It is coming. Aubrey, it is we're going to talk about this later on here in a couple of minutes, but it is Monday Thursday, which I told you yesterday. I grew up thinking <laughs> was Monday Thursday. I think
3: a lot of people think that, right? I think a lot of people think that it's Monday Monday Thursday because Monday is not a word that we use in real life.
2: That's right. That's right. We're going to yeah. uh, in a little while. We're going to explain what Monday Thursday is. But now we're to the point in Easter week where uh, we've we're getting to the part to the days that are named right Monday Thursday yes. Good Friday Easter yes. Sunday. So. Uh, we are good to go, but how are you today?
3: How am I today? Uh, let's see. Yesterday I was really jolly and you kind of made fun of me for it. So I'm trying to have a more like sober-minded answer. I'm fine today, Brian. I am just fine. How about you?
2: Uh, I am still a bit melancholy over my uh, my realization yesterday that I'm a bad person. That that uh, oh
3: yeah right because right, I did right.
2: not offer to get you something at Panera or Starbucks yes. or wherever I was yesterday. I am legitimately a bad person. So yeah, it's we a decided day, like
3: in jerk or justified. You're a jerk. For it's that, a yeah. day
2: of repentance for me. It is a day <laughs> of seeking out forgiveness and grace. I'm looking I like towards Easter. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. Well we got a great show today planned for you. In fact, what we're going to try to do, especially uh, at the beginning of the show here, is just, again, point us to Easter. Aubrey and I have kind of felt the burden this week and the joy to be able to say, hey, it's Easter week. Let's not blow past this. Let's take time each and every day uh, to point towards the celebration of Easter week this week. Uh, And then later on in this hour, I do have one of the most ridiculous Stories about a job that I've read in a long time. You're going to want oh, to Oh, I hear can't that. wait
3: to hear this. Okay, this will uh, be fun.
2: But, Aubrey, we have a teammate here at, uh, on d- AM 1160, Rick Warren, right? He doesn't. Kn- Rick Warren. He knows. He's been on our show before. He knows he's our teammate. But uh, <laughs> people, there have been some people who have affectionately referred to Rick Warren as America's pastor.
3: America's pastor. I love that. Yeah, I love that.
2: He is the author of The Purpose Driven Life, which you, as an author, I think, yeah. <laughs> Would have great jealousy for. I believe that I read that The Purpose Driven Life is the number one most sold uh, Christian book other than the Bible.
0: (laughs) This is
3: so wild to me. And Brian, and I know you'll know this reference because I know how much you love The Office. But one of my favorite scenes is when, you know, they're locked outside of the office. And uh, how many, quick, how many books would you, or what books would you take if you were stuck on an island? You know, and Angela says, The Bible. And he's like, you can't say The Bible. And she's like, Purpose Driven Life. (laughs) That's <laughs> it is like the second most popular book compared to, it's probably Harry Potter's number three after it's that, true. right?
2: Like the one time when he was on the show with Ian and I, we did ask him, what's it like to have a second? <laughs> and he was like, it's wild. It's crazy. I so,
3: can't even imagine. Uh,
2: but Rick Warren, uh, I was, d- yet yeah, like we did this yesterday, right? I went on YouTube and was like, let's just find some inspirational words for mm-hmm. Easter.
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, and yesterday, we went all the way back to Billy Graham. We like, How much more it? inspirational can you get than Billy Graham? And today, I want us to hear a word from Rick Warren. This is from a few years ago. And what's important context, the part that we don't play here, but he does set it up contextually, is that this was the Easter after his son committed suicide. Uh, If you know Rick Warren's story at all there, I think, what do you think, Aubrey? Was he young to mid-20s? I think
3: that's right. I think he was mid-20s. That's
2: right. They had a son, and they were very open. He was very open about his son's Um, mental health struggles they tried everything and uh, nothing ever really worked obviously and sadly and tragically his son took his life Uh, and Rick and Kay Warren Uh have been very open about the story they are now really champions for mental health in the Christian Mm -hmm. world trying Mm -hmm. to have that conversation in fact when he was out here at Wheaton when Ian and I interviewed him it was at a mental health conference he was speaking oh
3: I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that oh wow okay
2: and so, uh, yeah, uh, he's very open about, it. I would encourage people to go Google it, but this little couple minute, uh, um, kind of inspiration he gives about Easter, uh, it's helpful to know it was, it hmm. was the Easter after that tragedy yeah. occurred. Yeah. So let's listen to America's pastor, Rick Warren, speaking about Easter.
1: During the past year, I've often been asked, how have you made it? How have you kept going in your pain? And I've often replied, the answer is Easter. You see, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was the day of doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, that Sunday, was the day of hope and joy and victory. Now, here's the fact of life you will face these three days over and over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, you'll find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do in my days of pain? Two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? Three, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? The answer is Easter. The answer is Easter. Aubrey, I just
2: love uh, mm. how he ends there. He's like, yeah. "There's going to be doubt, despair." He knows that, and he yeah. <laughs> is what you and I've been trying to say all week. He says, "What is the answer?" and he says it twice with emphasis. Mm. Right? The answer is Easter, the answer and then he is says Easter. it again to the people who are hurting out there right now, Aubrey, who are struggling, who feel like yeah. they're drowning. Why is Easter the answer?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, his words will bring a lot of emotion to you, because I think a lot of us, whether it's financial struggles or marriage struggles or, you know, desperation or grief or loneliness or pain or I mean, disappointments, Mm -hmm. dreams deferred, like you name it, like there are categories of of pain and sorrow that most of us either are walking through will one day walk through mm-hmm. or we're walking with someone who's walking through and it can feel so, so heavy. And so I, I think just his reminder, one, that that actually like that journey from pain, sorrow, suffering, mm-hmm. death all day long to resurrection is like the hope for all of us right. that we want to find We want to overcome this. We want to find light in the middle of our darkness. We want to experience a new day. We want to be beyond this. And the fact that Jesus actually walked that journey because of that, because of his death on the cross and then ultimately his resurrection, what we celebrate on Easter, we are invited to walk with him from our darkness to light, from our darkness. Shame to radiance from our sorrow to one day, a new day. And so it's really, I mean, we've been saying this all week, but really Easter is everything for us because mm-hmm. it is like the anchor that that empty tomb is the anchor for our hope and both eternally, but now in the middle of our hardships
2: absolutely i love how he goes good friday to what you and i talked about yesterday saturday the kind of doubt what's going on where are you silent
3: saturday right?
2: silence into sunday in the victory of the empty tomb and to hear somebody like rick warren uh He's not speaking there necessarily as the author of The Purpose Driven Life and the pastor of one of the biggest churches Mm, in the country. He is, but he's not even speaking as a grieving father going, where have I found hope? Where can I put my hope? And he's basically answering it for himself. Mm. The answer is Easter. And that's where we wanted to start today to remind us all the answer truly is Easter. That is where our hope, that is where our victory is found. Aubrey, today is Monday Thursday. People might be like, "What's that word you're saying?" It's spelled M A U N D Y. Monday Thursday. Let me put you on the spot, and I will I will grant you that if I wasn't holding it in front of me, I would not know what Monday means in the Monday Thursday. Do you?
3: Uh, I ha- I think. Mondi refers to the foot washing or it's something like the first, right? Like there's there. It kind of has a double layered meaning. So it's like Mondi's the washing of the feet. I think that's the
2: act. Yes. Well, let me read it to you. Uh, Okay. I'm going to read from a post. From our friend Ian Simpkins.
3: Oh, Ian Simpkins! Ian is good
2: at Instagram at posting these types of things. He gives the background of what Monday, Thursday is. He says, let me read for you. Today is Monday or Holy Thursday, three days before Easter. The word Monday comes from an old Latin word, Mondatum, which simply means commandment.
3: Oh, I didn't know that. In
2: fact, it's the same word Jesus used when he said, a new command I give you to love one another. Through the centuries, the church has associated Jesus's washing of the disciples' feet, what you just brought up, with Jesus's command to love each other. The truth is, a lot of us have long forgotten what it means to really love each other as Jesus calls us to. Now, in Jesus's day, people walked on dirt roads. This is that background about foot washing. Clouds of dust rose with every step. By the time you reached your destination, your feet weren't just dusty. They were filthy. So upon arrival, as a gesture of hospitality, your host would typically instruct servants to take a basin and wash feet and dry them with a towel. But this rabbi does not wait for the hired hands. He does what he often does and inverts the whole operation. Mm. Jesus stoops. He gets down low and he washes the feet. What Jesus did in that upper room the night before his crucifixion was not just a kind gesture. It was meant to catalyze a seismic paradigm shift. Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do that that's john chapter 13 i believe ian writes that's still true today in fact jesus is washing jesus washing the feet of even his betrayer shows that who we are to love has nothing to do with the other person deserving it Mm. mere hours before his execution what did jesus do he loved to the end setting aside his crown to put on an apron It was love that moved Jesus to stoop low before his disciples. It was the love of Jesus that frames this entire story. This is the love that's been changing the world for 2,000 years. And he's going to go on to say later, Ian's going to say, may you and I, the recipients of this lavish love, follow his example. May we learn to see through his paradigm, a people seeking not to be served, but to serve. May we lay down our crowns and take up an apron. Ian's good at that.
3: Ian, good job, buddy. Thanks he's for good that. At this. Aubrey, yeah, if you he's guys, so uh,
2: a lot of churches do Monday Thursday services. Mm-hmm. We don't, and I, I don't believe you do either. But if you were, Mm-mm. if you were trying to, and I know Ian just helped us do this, but if you were trying to help people understand the significance of mm-hmm. what happened in the upper room, specifically the significance of the foot washing yeah. portion of the evening, why is that so significant?
3: Yeah, I I I th- I always think about a couple of things. One that that was such a humble act and really was a foretaste of what Jesus was about to do on the cross, mm-hmm. humbling himself to the point of death, like not just humbling himself to the point of foot washing, but humbling himself to the point of death mm. for you and I. Um then seg- secondly, there is that like with that is also like the the mandate to us. Um, which is then now you go and wash the world's feet, Mm -hmm. right? And ultimately, what we're pointing people to is not just a foot washing, but an entire like washing being made clean in Jesus. The other thing that I think is really interesting is I, I can't remember which gospel writer does this. My, I can't remember. But the next time we see a basin is Pontius Pilate when oh, he essentially washes his hands and mm-hmm. basically like washes his hands of the guilt of putting Jesus on the cross mm. and so you've got these two opposing like one is about power one is about not taking responsibility not humbling himself and the other is literally like humbling himself to the point where he's doing this very vulnerable servant like thing to wash our feet and so I, good. I think we just consistently see in the life of Jesus in the ministry of Jesus this willingness to turn everything up Down and say, like, look, true power is not what you think it is. True power is found in humility. You know the last shall be first that kind of thing and so again all of it is a foretaste of what's about to happen on the cross
2: i do uh i do love the part of the story where peter's like you're not washing my feet and he's right, like, I'm right. going to and then i it's the most peter I- uh, words ever he goes that then wash my whole body <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> he's so extreme isn't he <laughs>
2: you will not do this then do it all yes do it i, all. I, I, know. I so love extreme. that part so uh we don't wash feet anymore right yeah. like we we don't have to worry about these things although I got to tell you, when I was in Wheaton in the Holy Lands, I've told you this, uh, that I got the chance to spend like a month and a half in the Holy Lands. So cool. Uh, oh, it was the best summer ever. And we would just walk in sand. You know, you were like in Tivas oh, the whole yeah. time. And it was hot and you're on dirt. My feet, they've never been grosser than wow. at the end of that. They were, I mean, I don't, hopefully this isn't too gross. They were like cracked. They were dirty. Yeah. They were, and yeah. you just think of them, that like mm-hmm. that. I remember us going, oh, yeah, this was a gross thing to wow. have to do, but but we don't do that now, Aubrey. So what does foot washing metaphorically, mm-hmm. what does that look like? If we are actually going to take up that call as Christ yeah. followers, he says, I've done this for you, now do this for others. What does that actually look like?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's again, like the Philippians too, like taking on that, the same mind of Christ and humbling yourself. So that might mean little things like... Um, how can I serve my spouse today? Wow, mm. they I, I'm going to surprise them with a, a meal. I don't know. Like It can be these kind of simple acts of service that we talk about. I also think there's something really powerful in Jesus telling the disciples to go and do the same, which means like... As bodies of believers, as communities of Christians, yeah. how can we serve our neighborhoods? How can we serve the vulnerable? How can we serve refugee families? How can we serve homeless families? Like, how can we serve the prisoners? So, I think we can take this like communal, something we do as a church. How do we serve? And then also, individual, our day to day lives, choosing. And look, sometimes this is an issue. I mean, You know, you got to fight with your spouse. The last thing you want to do is serve them. Like the last thing you want to do is like, you know, and I think an example in my home is like my kids always use all the toilet paper. Yes. And I'm like, I wish somebody would fill up the toilet paper. Why do I always have to be the one to go get the toilet paper? And I get mad about it. And I say to them, guys, if you use the toilet paper, go get it. Like that's an example. They should get it. But that's a moment for me to go, Okay, I'm going to remind them to do it. But I'm also going to serve my family by being the one to go get the toilet right. paper. So you know, small things and big ways we can do this. That's
2: really good. And I think uh, collectively, um, the f- the ones who washed the feet were the servants. But also, you've got to think the one whose feet got washed were the honored guests. You, like that's Ooh, the that's where wow. you want to get to, Brian. Right. That's yeah. what you want to get to. And Jesus is like, I, I deserve this, but I'm going to go do this. It's it's also a posture for all of us. As individuals, but also organizationally, like everything we do, Mm. we show greater honor to the rich and the powerful because we attain, Mm. we, we long to get there. And Jesus is like, Mm. nope, we got to flip that. You need to show greater honor and, and care for those in need by humbling yourself and becoming the one in need, becoming the servant. I just, that's good, Brian. As you sit on it and think about it, it, it really is, as Ian said in his post, he turns it upside down. He flips the paradigm. And it's just like you said, a foretaste, a precursor for hours later when he is arrested, beaten, and crucified. It is a picture. So happy Monday, Thursday. Uh, Take time to reflect it. All week we've been saying don't blow through Holy Week, but instead take time to think about it. And that includes today being Monday, Thursday. Aubrey, remind people if they're like, you know what? I would like to spend Easter worshiping with Aubrey Sampson.
3: Oh, wow. Where would
2: you point them?
3: Yeah, you can go to our website bringrenewal.com, to find out all about our two services we're having at Renewal Church in West Chicago. We have a nine a.m. and a ten. I think it's either ten fifteen or ten forty five. I keep forgetting, but we would love to have you. What about you, Brian? It's terrible that, like, that I don't know. I'm not really
2: sure what time that I. I believe you said yesterday it's at ten forty five. I'm gonna I'm okay, gonna help I, you out there.
3: That sounds right to me. <laughs>
2: uh, I am at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, just south of Downers Grove. Also out here in the southwest suburbs, you can find us at FCCC.Church, but we will also be having two services on Sunday, 9 and 1030. Uh, and we would love to have you join us, Child Care, through both of them. Also, we have a Good Friday service at 6. So if you want to slow down and remember Good Friday, communion and all of that. Love that. But if you're not going to join one of us, then get to church somewhere. This is a weekend uh, that you need to engage. And we would hope that you would engage uh, in a church. All right, Aubrey, every week we do something called the Social Media Water Cooler. Because, you know, back in the day, what did you do in the office? Mm. You gathered around the water cooler. Yes. Well, we don't do that anymore. We instead, with a proverbial water cooler, is Twitter, yes. Facebook. That's where you go to share ideas and opinions. And I kind of wish I did grow up in a time of the water cooler, don't you? I
3: know. I kind of like that idea. Like you grab your, you grab your coffee or you grab your cup, I guess, to fill up with water and you go talk about like the, sh- the shows you watched the night before the game what's happen- last night, what's right. happening with old Joe in the corner office, like that kind of stuff.
2: And that's what, if you wonder if people still long for that, that's what made the office, the the TV show <laughs> so popular.
3: That's a good point. That yep. was
2: It was never about the making of paper and the selling of paper. <laughs> it was just the, the dynamics. But uh, so now we've got a little segment we call the social media water cooler, where we pose a question uh, and rather just than answering it we say hey uh, why don't you tell us your thoughts and today's social media watercolor question hopefully it's not too irreverent we were like we we're trying to get a <laughs> little eastery and we said get a
3: little eastery
2: our producer keith conrad said Considering that Jesus could be considered the greatest comeback story ever, yes. what are your favorite comeback stories? What's a it. great comeback story? So that was the question we posed. Fact of nonfiction or fiction.
3: Yes. Greatest
2: comeback stories of all time. So what, what did some of our people share?
3: Uh, okay, we've got some fiction ones and some non-fictional ones and ones that I've never even heard of. Okay, so this one, Brian, I think you'll appreciate this. Andy Dufresne from The Shawshank Redemption.
2: Let's pause right there for a second. Yeah,
3: Yeah, why don't you tell people that comeback story in case they aren't familiar with the movie or the book.
2: Not only one of the greatest characters in, I would say, modern movie history, Simply one of the greatest movies of all time.
3: It's such a good Shawshank
2: Redemption. He gets wrongly um, arrested and put in prison. He's in prison for years. Uh, Eventually he breaks out and it's just like, but it's like such a good human story.
3: Yeah. Uh, So
2: yes, I could see that person's answer of Andy Dufresne. Uh, which should make you think of Morgan Freeman uh, uh, immediately go, I just miss my friend, Andy Dufresne. (laughs) (laughs) I don't do a good Morgan Freeman, but it was really good.
3: No, I would not have guessed Morgan Freeman from that, but Uh, I'm impressed you tried. But everybody who's seen the
2: movie is going, oh, I know that line. Uh, It also makes me think of Harrison Ford's character. What is his name in The Fugitive? In The
3: Fugitive. Uh, We're going to do, oh, yeah, because what's his face? goes, uh, dog hunt. Manhunt. Wait, what's that line he says? Yes, search every manhole, foxhole, doghole. And like it's some, that's not it, but it's something like that. It is so funny.
2: But that movie is so good and shot right here in Chicago. Uh, and so if you go, you it's fun to watch because you're like, oh, he's there, he's there. Uh, I caught it. His name is Doctor Richard Kimball.
3: Doctor yes. Richard Kimball. And I I can't really remember the fugitive. He's falsely accused. There's the so scene his where wife
2: he... gets murdered.
3: Yeah uh he cla-
2: he gets arrested he claims it was a one-armed man uh and everyone says no way he gets and he he ends up there's a bus crash and so he runs free and rather than running away he tries to solve the case while Tommy uh, Lee Jones is chasing Tommy him Tommy Lee
3: Jones he's the one with the big like Dog, whatever that, whatever that great speech. That great line. I I feel like I need to look that up. Okay, here's another one. I'm I'm totally off
2: on tangents here. Tommy Lee Lee Jones, one of the great modern day actors. Do you know who his college roommate was?
3: Uh, I feel like I've heard this, but remind me.
2: Tommy Lee Jones roomed in college. With former Vice President Al Gore.
3: (laughs) What? That's not who I expected you to say. Maybe I haven't heard that. Isn't that awesome? Okay, what are some others?
2: Dr. Richard Kimball.
3: Okay, we've got uh, Dave Grohl, who was previously the drummer from Nirvana, became the singer of Foo Fighters. I don't know. If I would call that a comeback, but an upgrade, maybe. Yeah. Although I, I don't know if it's an upgrade from That is Nirvana. not an upgrade. That no, is that's a, not an upgrade. That is an, is act, that is an impressive second
2: act, though. Impressive second
3: act. Yeah, I guess he. Maybe Nirvana, obviously, like you know, obviously, mm-hmm. RIP. RIP uh, Kurt, Kurt Cobain. RIP Kurt Cobain. Uh, you know, maybe Nirvana kind of faded away, so he came back in Foo Fighter. So that's a good one. um Okay, uh, uh Brian, at, tomorrow we're doing a top 5 list on our we're top five So I, I don't know if we want to reveal some of our secrets now, but here's a here's another one we got. This is kind of a random one. Somebody put someone named Sixto Rodriguez, uh known professionally as Rodriguez, an American singer-songwriter from Detroit. He um his career uh basically failed in the United States, but then he found success in South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. Unbeknownst to him for decades, his music was extremely influential in South Africa, where he was sold. He sold more records than Elvis Presley. Wow. I know. I've never heard of this guy, but isn't that crazy?
2: That's that is, that is a good comeback story. I'm trying to think of some more good fictional ones. You know, yeah. like, like, I feel like you could you could really go with Luke Skywalker here. I feel like he made oh, some comments.
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, and
2: there's a great sports ones. Like, if you are a Chicago sports fan right now, you're going, hello, the 2016 Cubs. Uh, that is uh, that is a great one.
3: Yeah, I think that's a huge one. I wonder if like, if you could argue, bear with me here. But if like a like a whole um, something like Marvel. OK, It always comes back to Marvel. I know for me. Popular amongst just like the comic book, you know, people in the world, but now became very mainstream. So I don't know if you consider that a comeback or just a rise in popularity, but like it could have died for a while. Some of the movies stopped being made and then all of a sudden, like, boom, they've taken over the universe. So that that could maybe be argued. Yeah,
2: something Uh, we um, by the way, Marvel, we watched we've been going through some of the old Spider-Man movies. Who's the, oh, second you have? Sp- Who's the second Spider-Man? Andrew What's Garfield? Ca- yeah, we watched that one. Yeah. Did they really have to qu- kill Gwen off? Did they really uh, need so to do you know that? What
3: I don't, I, you know what I don't like about those ones is that at the time, it was like CGI was kind of newish, yeah, yeah, at least the version of it, and it was so, so popular to make movies that were just like, the camera moved around, yeah, and like yeah. there was crazy like computer graphics everywhere, and I, I kind of missed... Like, I kind of miss just, like, a good old storyline. Yeah. I like, I mean, I like, you know, cool effects, but those overwhelmed me a little they bit, had those to movies. Come, they had
2: to move it back. So, uh, yeah. we love a great comeback. And if we're going to pull this string a little more, that's the beauty of Easter.
3: That's the right. The greatest
2: comeback of all happened on right, that Ryan. first Easter Sunday when the tomb was empty. I really love that. As you said, tomorrow's show, you and I are going to do our top five comebacks. And I'll that's just give you fine. a little hint. Uh, I'm very proud of my number one.
3: Your number one is pretty pretty amazing. I you might have you won a, the whole list. I yeah. gave
2: you a glimpse into my number one, and uh, I'm very proud of it. So join mm-hmm. us tomorrow when Aubrey and I give our top five
3: comeback stories. We've been talking about how it's Holy Week all week. What you may not know is that it's also Titanic Week. Did you know that, Brian? <laughs>
2: I did not. This is a quite the anniversary. Yes.
3: Yeah. This is this is a big week in the calendar. So we we are fortunate enough to have a Titanic expert, guru, fanboy uh, on our Fan team. Boy. That is our executive producer, Keith Conrad. And so I asked Keith to come join us today, so we could have a little Titanic talk. Keith, thanks for being here.
0: Well, thanks for having me. Okay. Hold on. Can I just ask the
2: question? The- you may. Can you be a Titanic fanboy? Like, it's one of the greatest disasters
0: ever. Is yeah. fanboy the right word? Yeah, fanboy sounds a little weird. <laughs>
3: fan man? Uh, no,
0: I don't think you're a fan of it. You, like you not a
3: fan of it.
2: You know what I'm a huge Follower? fan of? 9 11. 9 11, you know. No, uh, you can't. Okay, you're yeah, a fan. I got you. I
3: got you. I got you. Uh, I don't know what you would call it then. Follower? Uh, Interest? Uh, aficionado? Aficionado. That still sounds a little. Gruesome, too. But okay. Anyway, Keith, what makes it Titanic week?
0: Uh, Well, this is the week the uh, the the Titanic sank. So it was sailing from uh, uh, April 10th, 1912 to the 15th. So it sank on the 15th. Which, okay, is, uh, okay, which is which so- is also which is also tax day and the day Lincoln died
3: and Good Friday this year <laughs> and
0: Good oh, wow. and Good Friday so it is a busy a lot week. Of things
3: that happens on April. 15th. What a wonderful day! Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh, Keith, you have shared some incredible Titanic stories, and one of the things we've talked about on the social media water cooler this week, and Brian and I are going to talk about tomorrow, are some comeback stories. You told us an incredible one the other day that I feel like our listeners have to tell about the tennis player on the Titanic. Can you tell us that story?
0: Uh, yeah, so there was a, a, a guy named Richard Norris who was on the Titanic with his uh, father, and he was a professional tennis player, and uh, he and his father were supposed to go back to the United States uh, a couple weeks previously, but he had uh, he had a bout with the measles that, that postponed the trip. And so then they were rebooked on the Titanic, and so uh, the night uh, the, the iceberg uh, uh, of the uh, the accident... Uh, he and his dad were actually still awake, and so they they felt the uh, you know the the impact, and then they realized something was uh, was wrong. So they got up uh, out of the uh, out of their cabin, and they actually, as one does, they headed to the bar and uh <laughs> and and when they when they got there uh the the crew crew members you know told them hey the bar's closed you need to go uh, up on deck so then they right. went to the gymnasium because the gymnasium is up on the uh, on the boat deck the top deck with the uh, the few lifeboats that they had okay. and so uh they were you know they were told they couldn't get into the lifeboat because they were both dudes and and both adults so they were basically you know riding the ship down uh, but they were well, they were scary. they were in the forward part of the the ship so um, Richard ends up getting washed off and he actually turns back and basically sees the the first smokestack fall and and ultimately crushes his father no way. so he sees no that way. but he's uh he's he's swimming in the water until uh, ultimately he gets his way to a a lifeboat um but because the water was, I think, about 25 degrees. Uh, obviously, he was dealing with uh, frostbite issues. Like yes. in that in that cold water, you'd basically last about maybe 15 minutes uh, before, oh, you, wow. before you before oh, you die. Wow. So, wow. so Jack was probably dead for quite a while before Rose noticed. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, so ultimately, he gets into a lifeboat, the Carpathia. You know, the ship that rescues the survivors, he's Uh he's uh, he's taken to a doctor and the doctor looks one takes one look at his legs and says, hey, we're going to have to amputate it. And the way he describes it, he was all cheerful. Well, I guess we're going to have to amputate your legs now. And uh, and and he's and he says, no, you're not. And uh, every two hours. From the time he got on the ship until the ship, like, basically until it made it to New York, he would uh, walk on the decks of the the Carpathia, the rescue ship, and eventually he was able to get, uh, you know, like, circulation back in his legs. And so he was fine. He didn't need to have them amputated. And he wasn't actually the only person who did that. Uh, The radio operator was in the same boat, so to speak. And he did basically the same thing, where he just he just kept walking, and eventually he was Come able on. to he was able to walk again. Wow! So he gets to New York, and um, you know he wants to resume his his tennis career, and uh, ultimately later that year he wins what is essentially the U.S. Open.
3: No yeah. way! Um, <laughs> it
0: wasn't it wasn't actually called that at the time, but it was what was what would ultimately become the U.S. Open.
3: That later, is later funny. Incredible. later that same year.
0: But, that uh, is a okay. comeback story. I, I, I think my uh, w- one of my favorite stories is um, a guy by the name of Edward Bean, and he was just a, a guy who sold uh, furs in a in a store. So you know, not really necessarily of note before he got on the ship. But he was yeah. on a uh, honeymoon with his uh, his new wife Ethel, and um, they were on deck. They were actually in second class, but somehow they managed to get up onto the uh, boat deck uh, re- relatively early. And uh, uh, Edward put his wife, uh, Ethel, into lifeboat number nine. But he was told, hey, women and children only, so he can't get on. So then after the lifeboat leaves, he's watching the lifeboat uh, leave. And he actually knows enough to know the water is freezing. So you're not going to be able to survive for very long. Yeah. So he waits until like the ship is is pretty. he, He like does the math in his head. And figures, what's the latest I can stay on the boat and actually be able to get to the lifeboat in time before I freeze to death? Come on. And so he actually jumps off the boat relatively late before the ship sinks. Swims to, to the lifeboat, which, by the way, you can't even see at this point because it's far enough away that you can't Pitch see the lifeboat. Yeah. But he saw uh-huh. the direction they were going, and he saw how uh-huh. how fast they were going. He actually times it perfectly, gets to the lifeboat, they pull him in, and he survives.
3: No That's way! Loud. So and I've his, always and, wondered, and Ethel survived too.
0: Yeah, so so they were they were actually like one of very few people who were you know husband and wife couples who actually both managed to survive without wow. any shenanigans there was there was a couple rich yeah. couples where it's sort of theorized maybe they paid their way on but he gotcha. he, right. he he jumped off the boat and and made it to, uh, made it to that. a lifeboat that's
2: a good story so i've always wondered about the lifeboats though was it just plain hubris as to why they didn't have enough there or were there not mm. enough room it always seems weird that they were so short
0: well it wasn't it was and it wasn't um so at, at, when they were advertising it, they would say, hey, this ship is unsinkable, you know, blah, blah, blah for PR. But but the engineers that built it, they weren't stupid, and actually the the people who made the, the regulations weren't stupid either. In retrospect, yeah. you say, hey, you never know what's going to happen. The ship might sink in 20 minutes, so we should probably have live boats for everybody. But they <laughs> right. weren't thinking uh, about it that way. They were thinking about the fact that, like, in the past 50 years beforehand, there hadn't been any, any big accidents. And It had gotten to a point where, you know, it used to take a month to cross the Atlantic. Now it was down to like four days and there was enough traffic going back and forth that you were never very far from another ship. So the idea wasn't that you would put all of your people into a lifeboat and just wait for a rescue ship to come. The idea was you'd be so close to a rescue ship that you'd put a bunch of people in your lifeboats, you'd send them to the other ship, they would send their lifeboats back, and you'd just keep shuttling people back and forth until you got everybody off, and there would be enough time to do that. And interestingly, they were kind of right, because there was a ship that was 10 miles away. When the, when the uh, Titanic hit the iceberg, that had they responded, they would have been able to probably save everybody. It's just no the, it, when, the, when, the, when that ship got to where they were, they sent out a radio message that said, hey, we've run into ice, we're stopping for the night. But the Titanic was actually working. Uh, the the radio operators were talking. Were sending messages to the mainland, and they blasted like each other's ears off because they were so close. And the Titanic radio operator told him, "Shut up! I'm talking to Cape Race in Newfoundland." No. So the radio operator on the Californian, the ship, turns the radio off for the night. And they they never they never responded. It gets even worse because the crew on the Californian actually saw you could see the Titanic like you could see it was clearly a big ship in the distance. The crew actually saw them shooting up rockets, but they never did anything about it. They're just like, oh, that's interesting because eventually they saw the ship disappear and just assumed, oh, it must have sailed away.
3: No that's wild. Way. Okay. This is why yeah. we have Keith on. This, this is, is good why stuff. we <laughs> have Keith. All right. Well, it is Titanic week. That is some fun. Uh actually fun is, the, again, the wrong yeah, word. We're not yeah. going to say fanboy. That's fun. There's some stories from the Titanic to pique our interest. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Titanic on Titanic week, Keith, where's some uh, place someone can go?
0: Uh, there's a great website that's actually like Encyclopedia Titanica. And, okay, uh, and
3: you can uh,
0: uh, and uh, some of
3: these incredible stories there. This is very fun for me because I have the opportunity to bring on my friend. My chiropractor, my healer, my old neighbor, Doctor Alex <laughs> Earl. He's with us to talk about how we can experience health. Especially, we're moving into the spring now, warmer weather. How we can begin to take care of ourselves, both mentally, emotionally, and physically. So, Alex, thanks so much for being here with us today.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Excited to be back on the show, guys.
3: Yeah, this is so fun to have you. You're becoming mm-hmm. a regular guest. We like to call these folks friends of the show. So you're officially a friend of the show, Alex. You can put that like new title on your.
4: Brilliant, brilliant. On your business, yep. Cards yep. If yep. Your you business card if you
3: want to. Um, mm-hmm. Alex, for our listeners who may have missed uh, when you were on previously, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a sports chiropractor in Curl Stream, Illinois. Uh, we get a lot of patients that come in from DuPage and Kane County, and, and we do get some people that travel from even downtown Chicago that come out to us. Um, and we really specialize in uh, helping 14, you know individuals ages 14 to 40, 50, 60, um, that are engaging in some type of sport or activity or they have an upcoming event and pain or discomfort or an ache is currently preventing them from really fulfilling on that, uh, that goal or that desire to complete, uh, like I said, that activity or compete yeah. in that game. Yeah. So, so our, our treatments really are specialized into helping people achieve an outcome. And so that's, that's really where, we, where I could say we specialize is helping those active individuals attain that goal that they have. It's
2: good. That's great. And, Alex, I'm wondering – uh, we often talk about how kids younger and younger are playing more and more. Uh, are you seeing more injuries and more things happening to that age 14, 15, these athletes? What are yeah, you seeing it's, going it's on? A,
4: it's a loaded question it for sure. is because we, we want kids to be experiencing a whole plethora of movements and activities. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and with that comes a risk, right? There's an inherent, inherent risk of anything that you do, any sport that you participate in. So to answer your question, yes, we do see a good amount of youth-related injuries. Injuries. Sometimes they're overuse. Sometimes they're just, you had a bad incident or you had a strange fall. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and some, so those, those freakish injuries or those moments of like really unfortunate circumstances, those are quite rare. But really, the overuse injuries in our adolescent population are increasing um, year after year. And and especially this time of year with baseball coming up, there's a lot of overuse uh, with our pitchers. So we might have a 13-, 14-, 15-year-old kid come in uh, with elbow or shoulder pain. And it's because he's thrown 80 pitches on a Friday, 95 on a Saturday, and then Monday he's back at it. And so it's not necessarily the throwing fault. You know, sure, mechanics play a part in it. But sometimes it's our tissues are not ready for the demands that we just placed on them.
3: Hmm. 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 And Alex, I'm thinking of people like myself who are not athletes or people who are, you know, maybe in an older category. And simply they just have the aches and pains of like life – Life, life experience. You treated me for some I, I, I have an autoimmune disease. So some of the chronic pain that I was dealing with. What's your philosophy of health for people who aren't athletes? Like I know I can come to see you so they can come to see you too. what kind of treatment can they expect?
4: Yeah, I, I love sharing this because my dad's an accountant, and, uh, and so I love sh- speaking in his language. And as, as soon as I told him that you know, diet and exercise play a really important role in longevity and lifestyle and overall wellness, right, he you know, was kind of, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it. But the moment I put it into numbers, it really made sense for him. So if you live to the age of 40, right, you have an 80% chance of dying from one of the following four categories. All right, so it's neurocognitive decline, of which Alzheimer's disease is the number one. There's Mm -hmm. neuro, neuro, uh, um, there's, I'm sorry, there's cardiovascular disease, there's cerebrovascular disease, and then there's the fourth category of metabolic, of which cancer is now considered a metabolic disease. So all four of those can be modified, suppressed, mitigated with a change in lifestyle factors of which exercise and diet or nutrition changes. So maybe said differently, if you make it to the age of 40, you have a 80% chance of improving the quality of your life simply by adding exercise and quality nutrition. So while we're not a, a specific nutrition clinic, we do address the nutritional components of what we consume. But we definitely have a bias towards movement and exercise. So whether that's um, you know just all of the benefits that the body goes through for exercise, um, we we try to take our patients from pain through the performance side, but then also we try to give them these we call them principles or pillars of movement, so they can take with them uh, t- they can take these concepts with them for the rest of their life, not just during our treatment if that makes sense we're trying to teach them like 10 20 30 years from now they're gonna still be thinking about these movements and using them like squatting and lunging because we're gonna have to squat and lunge um and do walking based activities for decades hopefully for the rest of our lives and so that's really where the education comes in but first first we have to address the, the the elephant in the room which is the pain and then we we guide people through into the performance side
3: that's awesome Oh, that's great, Alex.
2: Talk to the person who's over forty, over fifty. Who do, they they know they're listening. They're like, I don't ever exercise. Like I can feel it. I have trouble getting up. And what is step one? They're they're listening to you, going, okay, I get this. I should probably do. This. Not in a lot of pain, but they don't exercise. What would you? How do they even start? Because they're probably like, I don't have time. I've I don't do this.
4: Uh, help help that person understand what. Uh, that's to a do. great question. We actually we. This is a topic of conversation we have with a lot of our patients and we just had one, you know, uh, last mm-hmm. week we were discussing with a patient who is currently watching his parents go from not as active as they used to and then you know coming out of covid where everyone was just in inside yeah. or just yeah. very minimal activity mm-hmm. um yeah. mm-hmm. due to just all of the circumstances of the times um then they went to get back into certain things and they couldn't physically do it, whether they had a reduced muscle capacity or their cardiovascular system was reduced. And so getting them back into exercise, they had to have some type of help. So whether that was a cane or a walker, if they were, you know, if they were, um, really, if they were getting, uh, that dependent on a piece of equipment. So we had this gentleman who was watching his parents go through that dependency model. And he's like, I want nothing to do with that. What can I learn right now? So that I can prevent that or mitigate that later on in life, um, which a lot of people, mm. maybe that might be the driver. That might be the motivator to get them up and moving today as opposed to waiting a few decades. It's better to have the muscle and not need it later on in life than to not have it and need it. Yeah. And so we're, we're really advocates of doing something rather than nothing. And so it's simple. We try to keep, keep our advice quite simple. If you're doing nothing – Start with something small. Start with something, whether that's a daily walk, whether that's um, you know squatting or calf raises. It's just a, pick one okay. thing and then just do that. Just do that one thing. If you are doing something, then the word that we use in our office is refine it. So improve mm. your squatting form. Uh, get mm. better at lunging. You don't have to go all the way knee to the floor, but if you can just slightly improve on the different variations because there's a thousand different ways to lunge and squat. Um, But really, that's kind of where we come in is we give you the guidance to safely squat, to safely lunge, because a lot of patients are hesitant to do those things if they haven't done them. And so we just kind of give you a little, you know, uh, a figurative pat on the back to go, here's what you can do. Um, We give you permission to do these things. So, you know, go on and and do them and and really live your best life is is really how we view our our role.
3: Mm, mm, That's so good. And Alex, where can our listeners find out more about you and your practice? Where can they, they make their first appointment with you if they want to?
4: Yeah, so we have three resources on our website right now. Um, uh, one of them is if you have uh, neck pain, we've got a neck re- uh, neck pain report. You can go to our website, and that report is just right there on our homepage. Uh, also, if you have low back pain, we have a low back pain guide. And then we have a shoulder um um, I'm sorry, we have, we have neck and shoulder, low back, and then the third one is a knee knee pain guide. So if you're mm. suffering with, and those, by the way, those are the four conditions that 95% of our patients come to our office with. So we just put the information up on our website right away. So again, if you have neck, shoulder, low back, or knee pain, you can go to our, web, our website and you can uh, opt into one of our free reports. It'll be delivered right to your inbox cool. and uh, you can start getting some of that pain relief right away.
3: That's awesome. And Alex, will you let the people know what the website is so they know where to do those tests or assessments?
4: Yeah, you can go to MyActiveRestoration.com. That's MyActiveRestoration.com. And like I said, all those free reports are listed just on the homepage right there. Click which one works for you and then we'll get in touch once you fill out some of the information on the free report.
3: I love that. That is an awesome resource. Again, that's com. I have benefited from Dr. Alex's treatment. I know you will too. Alex, thanks so much for being here with us today.
4: Yeah, thanks for having thanks, me again, Alex. guys.
3: It is the end of the show, and at the end of every show, we love to bring you something challenging or inspiring or something to put a smile on your face. Now, Brian, I, you know, with all of the controversy with Disney, I don't know if they'll still put a smile on people's face, <laughs> but, uh, but I hope it will. I hope this is inspiring and encouraging for you. Let me ask you a question, though, before we dive into this. If I say the name Bruno to you or we don't talk about Bruno to you, what immediately happens in you?
2: Uh, the song – here's the funny thing. I haven't seen Encanto. Like this is from that <laughs> movie. I haven't seen it. My kids right. have or at least my youngest or uh, my wife has. I haven't seen it. But this song, you mentioned the word Bruno and I immediately begin singing it. Like everyone, the yeah. song is on all the time. It's called uh We Don't Talk About Bruno. It's from the movie. I couldn't tell you anything about the movie. <laughs> but I know the song because it's on and it's on and it's one of these songs that when you hear it, it for better or for worse i like the song it's it's catchy it's catchy but for better or for worse it will stick in your brain and yeah, it's it not an going to go anywhere <laughs> it is not so- going anywhere
3: my kids we we watched Encanto on christmas eve my kids didn't really like the movie like i think they're they're just a little too old for it frankly it just they're not i don't know if they're not the target audience or what they weren't into it but uh the funny thing is is even they are constantly singing we don't talk about bruno or they'll be like i don't know, we're just talking about something random and at the kitchen table they're like bruno Like Bruno comes up a lot and their friends talk about Bruno. So Bruno is this whole, Bruno's this whole thing. We had a guest uh, preacher, one of our elders named Brad Thornton. He opened up a sermon by talking about Encanto and this song. We don't talk about Bruno. So this thing is everywhere. Apparently it's like the number one song on the U.S. and global charts for February. Like it's everywhere. Okay. So the song goes, we don't talk about Bruno, but... Uh, the Gospel Coalition. A few weeks ago, Ryan McDonald wrote an article called "We Need to Talk About Bruno." He says <laughs> Disney's Encanto points to the Savior. Now let's let's uh, give this little caveat here you said when this article came out that like people went crazy because it was right when disney made their controversial announcement right so they got sort of gospel coalition got sort of lit up for this article
2: they did people uh you know especially pretty fun people who are of the ilk to now i want to uh cancel my disney plus i'm yeah, never going to yeah. disney world i'm not doing like people of that uh persuasion at the moment uh, they killed the Gospel Coalition when this came out. They're like, read the room. Like, all of this oh, Disney yeah. uproar is going on, and you're going, let's look at this Disney movie and see how it points <laughs> us to Jesus. In all fairness, I'm guessing the article was written well before the brouhaha, yeah, right, but right, their point right. was maybe delay or pull this right now. So that notwithstanding, it's a good article, but yeah, they uh, the Gospel Coalition – uh, took some punches for this one. We'll put it that way.
3: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in, in light of the article itself that Disney's Encanto points to the Savior, in light of Holy Week, I thought it would be a fun article... For us to talk about Disney controversy notwithstanding. So here, here's what this article says. This catchy song, We Don't Talk About Bruno, is a standout from the film for good reason. In case you don't know, here's what the song is about. The mysterious estranged Uncle Bruno proves to be the focal point of Encanto's plot, which follows a magical family, the Madrigals, in a hidden Colombian place called Encanto. Encanto's magic has blessed each Madrigal child except Mirabelle, Her strange lack of special ability is the first clue that the magic of Encanto is in danger. Mirabelle's quest to discover the problem leads her to Bruno, who was rejected by the family because of his prophecies of doom. Bruno would warn warn family members about the future, and they'd blame him when his predictions came to pass. Okay, so so that's the song. We don't talk about Bruno. But here's what this author says. As he watched the movie, he couldn't help but notice parallels between Bruno, the rejected truth-telling prophet, And Jesus. Now, he says, I doubt any of these parallels were attended by Disney. It's usually wise to avoid reading into movies, you know, more of a Christ figure than they actually intended. But he says, Encanto is a movie that whispers Jesus's name. And here's what he says. Okay, Brian, you haven't seen the movie, but hopefully you have enough background now to understand this. He says, one, the prophet is rejected and silenced for truth-telling. Like Jesus, Bruno is a prophet without honor in his hometown. The well-meaning uncle speaks truth to those he loves in order to prepare them for what's to come. Yet, instead of receiving the warning, those who hear his words only blame Bruno for bringing disaster. This is true of Jesus as well. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so then he says, um, Two, the rejected and silenced prophet is actually the one holding the family together. The magical family thought Bruno had run away, yet in Mirabel's quest for the truth, she discovered he's actually living in the walls of their family's home, and not only that, he's holding the whole house together. Even though he's been shunned, Bruno remains actively, selflessly at work on the family's behalf. He is mending the cracked walls caused by the family's unjust rejection of him. That that's a pretty. I mean, right there, that's pretty solid. Yeah, that's not he bad. He says that. That's yeah, not bad. Bruno, the rejected son, the one interceding on behalf of the very family that betrayed him. What a picture of Christ! And then he goes on. Number three, the family is healed only when they receive Bruno. Obviously, the connection is true. You know, of Jesus as well. Here's how the article ends. Bruno is by no means a perfect picture of Jesus. There are places throughout the film where Christological resonances break down. Still, in presenting Bruno as a once-rejected, truth-telling prophet who, when received by faith, brings healing and wholeness, Encanto offers a shadow of our true Savior. All right, Brian, so if you're going to preach Encanto based on that pre- Easter Sunday, <laughs> what you, are you going to say something similar? Is that what you're going to point people to?
2: Oh, heavens, if I'm pre- preaching Encanto, I hope they go to a different church, right? But... <laughs> I do appreciate these types of articles because they – Disney did not make this to be a shadow of Jesus, right? Right, Like they didn't go, hey, let's kind of secretly point people to Jesus. Let's do this Encanto movie. In fact, it was probably – and so sometimes when I read articles like this, I'm like, okay, like Mm -hmm. let's just stretch everything – but it does remind mm. us that everything points back to Jesus, and he makes yep. some good points. And so, yep. if you're able to watch a movie like this and go, "Okay, hey, uh, I know this isn't about Jesus, but look, remember what a Bruno did? That's what G-, like those kind of connections. I think are helpful and they're fun. Um, yeah, you know, I again, I don't want people to get the wrong idea that Disney made a movie about Jesus. G- That's not what it right. It's not to a with.
3: Christian movie. Yeah, no, but you fact- know what I? Oh, go ahead. ahead.
2: No, I was just gonna say other religions could probably make some of the same like, oh, you see how right. this goes. But with that said, I'm I like it. Like his points are like, yeah. oh yes, cool, yes, that works. And yeah, you're like, okay. makes sense.
3: I think what's always interesting to me about articles like this, or, or when you watch movies like this, and you can make some connection to the gospel, what's interesting to me is I do think there's like that, uh, you know, Lewis and Tolkien talked about this, there is sort of that ancient myth inside of all of us that longs for something, longs for a Savior, longs for healing, longs for hope, and ultimately what we know is that ancient myth that's in us is um, always telling the story of pointing to yes. Jesus himself like that's the ultimate myth and i'm using myth in the like in the classical sense of the word like a like a deep longing a deep story of why things happen and what we need i don't mean fake i mean like this thing in us that is pointing to Jesus and so i often think we can actually find connections to the gospel or at least connections to human longing that are answered mm-hmm. by the gospel in nearly everything that Uh, that culture makes might be a movie might be a song might be a TV show. Obviously sometimes things are just evil and that's not there, but that's what I sort of like about this kind of thing that it, it's easy to see that in us as humanity, even the things we make are artifacts point to a desire for a better story. And what you and I know, especially this week of all weeks is that better story is the empty tomb in Jesus who brings us life and wholeness. So um, that's fun. I think that's good with that. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to talk about Bruno. Hopefully that song (laughs) will be stuck in your head for the rest of the weekend. Brian, you can sing it on Sunday morning. Hey, um, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow on good Friday from four to 6 p.m. For Brian From, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.